Awesome job. As I said, we begin a new series today in Lent. We're going to be looking together at, at uh, staying in the, in the river of God's grace, learning how to float, learning how to paddle, learning how to make great progress, and learning how to not get beached on dry ground or head the wrong direction. And to do this, uh, we're Methodists, and, and as Methodists, we believe that there are methods and tools and principles of God's grace that can help us uh, stay in the channel of God's love and mercy in Jesus Christ. And Paul is going to help us begin that journey today in his final time with the church in Ephesus. He had uh, pastored the church and people in Ephesus on and off for many years. He is seeing them for the last time, and these are his closing challenge and words to him that we find in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. And here is the story. From the town of Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, Now you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared both to Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. There's that river of grace he's talking about. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So keep watch over one another and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock, even from your own number. Men will arise and destroy, distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So now I commit you to God, to the work of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions, and everything I did I showed you by this kind of hard work. We must help the weak in remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them most was the statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to his ship. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. As Paul speaks about the power of your grace, may the power of your grace flow through our lives. May our life get caught up in grace's healing and strengthening stream. And Lord, may we follow you into paths that help us grow strong in faith and life in ways that will touch our family and our neighbors and our community and our world more and more for your glory. So Lord, speak through me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as, as Paul came to Ephesus, one of the things he first begins to do is he reminds them of how he has modeled what it looks like to be on mission for Jesus. As a church, we have a purpose. We have an identity. We have a, a calling, and that's to be on mission for Jesus. Our mission statement is to make disciples of Jesus Christ that will transform the world. That's our job. And our heartbeat for this, it's in our bulletin that through that job we bring the hope and healing of Christ to all the people of our community and world one person at a time. And that was Paul's mission as well. That's what he was trying to do. And he knew that faith is something that's caught more than taught. And so he said, listen, you've seen how I've lived as a disciple among you. You've seen my humility. You've seen and heard my teaching. You've You've seen how I've wept over you, how I've challenged you, how I've laid it all out. You've seen how I didn't do this for my own gain, but instead reminded you that generosity to those who are weak and in need is an important piece of living out faith. And so Paul here models what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And he's done that for several years in Ephesus. And now as he gathers with the leaders, it's time to pass on the torch. And he says to them, all right, guys, as I have done for you, now it's time for you to do for the rest of the flock in Ephesus. You are to go and model what it means to follow Jesus. You are to go and to teach and to preach and to shape and to mold and to care and to uh, carry one another's burdens. This is now your job. And so as Paul models for us, he models for us a way and a mission and a purpose of who we are created to be. And perhaps uh, some of the greatest guidance for that we find in the 32nd verse where he says, Now I commit you, brothers and sisters, to God, to the word of his grace, that grace, that ever-flowing stream that grows us. He says that grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The grace that can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And that's the heart of what we're after with this series, is to say, how is your life going in God's grace? Are you paddling against the stream and working against the grace? H have you gotten onto the beach like a largemouth bass that that somehow flopped out of the river, maybe a salmon? How are you growing in God's love and grace? How can you do better? 
What things are you applying to your life? And today we begin with, I think, the key piece of growing in grace, the key component that can help build us up and give us an inheritance among the sanctified. Now that word there, sanctified, that's our destiny. That's our goal. That's our passion. That's our longing to be holy. John Wesley, our founder, loved to quote Hebrews. And the verse in Hebrews that says, Without that holiness, no one can see the Lord. There is a component here that's essential to being a mature follower of Jesus, a mature disciple of Jesus, and that component is holiness, growing in the grace and holiness of God. Holiness of heart and life is another phrase that historically Wesley loved to use to make us strong, to give us strength. Now, back in college, you know, uh, we had a Christian ministry at Georgia Tech. And in that Christian ministry, um, we would kind of do an event like this, except we'd do skits and music and, and all that sort of thing during the week for anybody who wanted to come. And so uh, with the skits, one skit that I remember doing, I don't know if I was a part of it, I know my roommate was a part of it, but it was based on Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live's Hans and Franz. Anybody remember Hans and Franz, Right? They'd get in the gray jumpsuits. They'd stuff pillows, you know, all around so that they'd look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And they'd say, we are here to pump you up because you got flabby muscles and you're a girly man and all these other things. You know, they just go on and on and how, how puny your little muscles are and how weak you are and how much you needed to be pumped up. And that's what Paul is saying. The grace of God pumps us up. And we're not to be weak. We're to be made strong. But to be made strong, brothers and sisters, we got to work out. There is, if there's no pain, right, there's no gain. And so much, of, I fear so much of church life these days is let's come and receive. Let's come and listen. Let's come and worship. Let's come and see what you know, our Sunday school teacher has to say to us today. And we just sit and we kind of receive. But, but brothers and sisters, we're on mission for Jesus. We're to be following him, and following him is an active deal. Following him means getting involved in making disciples for Jesus Christ. That's our mission. Figuring out what kind of gifts and graces we have. Getting out of the boat, getting out of our comfort zone, doing something new, trying something we've never tried before because we want to learn and grow and thrive. We, want to, we, would, we don't want to have puny muscles. We want to be pumped up by the grace of Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, that's, that was Paul's challenge. He says, listen, I commit you to the grace because that grace, it'll pump you up. It'll give you an inheritance that'll never spoil or fade. It'll make you holy. And it'll set you on the right path. You see, I believe this. Healthy church cultures produce healthy human beings, healthy disciples and followers of Jesus, and that produces a, a transformed community, nation, and world. Right? Healthy church cultures produce healthy disciples, Make new disciples with new people who aren't even here yet. 
we start to go out and look for people and we start to drag them in and say listen we want to tell you we love jesus we want to teach you how to follow him too would you be willing just to have conversations about that and then go and and that makes a healthy communities and healthy nation a healthy world and brothers and sisters today i'm i fear the church is in quite a sick place because the church today seems to be causing more divisiveness and more division and more you know that sort of thing rather than loving jesus and helping people follow jesus and helping people grow as disciples of jesus and we got to get back to the main thing And that's what Paul was about. And in this, the one key component that, that we begin with that helps us perhaps more than anything else you choose to do, if you would just take some time out of your week to, to make this one place, and that is the small group. When Jesus wanted to change the world, he didn't spend time investing in thousands. He'd preach to them and teach them a little bit, but he didn't expect them to get a whole lot out of it. Instead, he took some roughneck fishermen and, uh, and some crazy zealots and uh, maybe a tax collector or two that had found themselves on the wrong side of the political fence. And he got that crew together and said, all right, 12 guys, I'm going to invest in you for three years. I'm going to pump you up so that by the time I, you know, I die and by the time of my resurrection, I'll give you my spirit and then I will trust that 12 guys and a couple of women, too, can change the world. Can you imagine that? He entrusted his whole life to 12 guys and a handful of women to go change the world. And it happened. We know it happened because we're here today. Paul mentions that, too. Did you catch it? He says, I've taught you publicly, but I've also taught you how? From house to house. House to house means small groups. In Ephesus, they had groups of people that would get together to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, you know, here we are 2,000 years later, and we got to get back to basics and see that the small group part of life is not optional, it is essential. It's not optional, it's essential. He goes on and tell, to kind of describes what they're after in verse 28, where he says, verse 27, he says, I have not hesitated to pro proclaim to you the whole will of God. And this is it. Keep watch over one another and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Keep watch over one another. Again, our Methodist heritage, John Wesley picked up on this very phrase and said, listen, what we need to do is encourage one another. We need to keep watch over one another in love to help us shape each other to grow to be the kind of people God wants us to be. And uh, in fact, he said there is no holiness. That is, if you want to grow in the grace of God, if you want to go quickly down the river of life, then it's got to be social holiness. There is no holiness but social holiness. What did he mean by that? He means that if you want to be pumped up, you can't do it by yourself. That is an M 
possibility. You cannot be a strong follower of Jesus and not spend time with other followers of Jesus. It will not work. It will not happen. You might as well just stay out of the river and go the other way. You know, 100 years ago, they called that backsliding or something. I don't know. But, but you got to stay in the river of grace. And that takes community. That takes small groups. That takes a commitment and a willingness to get in a group of friends and keep watch over one another, to keep us in the river, to keep us using the, the tools of the river to get us down it quickly and deeply and thoroughly, to immerse us in the love of Jesus to help us stay on course. Paul reminds us that that is what we are to be about. Brothers and sisters, as a Methodist movement, as a Methodist movement, we did this better than any other religious movement of the day for about 75 years of our origin. From John Wesley's day to Francis Asbury's day here in America, from 1800 to 1850, uh, Methodist followers of Jesus grew to become the most dominant uh, spiritual movement in the whole United States of America, even more so than the Baptists. But then about 1850, we began to lose sight of what made us strong. Instead of seeing it as essential, we began to see it as optional. You know, before 1850, in order to be a member of the Methodist Church, you were required to be in a small group. No membership in the small group, not a member of the church. I wish we could do that again today, but I think some of you probably wouldn't put up with that. But when we lost that core, brothers and sisters, we lost our spiritual momentum and we turned from a movement into a church. And from a church, I'm afraid, sometimes into a social club. And social clubs maybe have some fun, but they're not on mission as much. They don't make disciples as well. And they don't transform the world hardly at all. It starts with the gift of small groups, brothers and sisters. I remember when I was in college, well, no, just outside of college, uh, Ian and I, we were newly married. We moved away from family. We moved to, away from friends. We were on our own for the first time. All Andrea had was me. All I had was her. And some days we'd wake up and say, why, why, why? you know, not that bad, but, you know. <laughs> but being away from everybody else is not easy. And the thing that, that meant a lot to me, I know it meant a lot to Andrea either, was our church small group. We had uh, families in it, young couples who were, the husband most of the time was at Asbury Seminary getting ready to go do ministry. We had a young doctor's family. He was a resident and having to spend most of his life in the ER. But even for a guy who was spending 60, 80 hours a week in the ER, he had time for Sunday morning, and for a small group. We had a guy who, uh, who did the Irish football programs and basketball programs and all sorts of sports programs. He would work, you know, 70, 80-hour weeks when football season or basketball season was in full swing. But he made time for Sunday morning in a small group. 
And we grew to love each other and care for each other and encourage each other and, and uh, help each other and guide each other over those two or three years. Um, and that's just what Andrea and I needed when we were kind of all on our own and newly married. And that's what small group is meant. It's meant to carry one another's burdens in love to have one another's back, to keep watch over one another. And so when we share with you that we've got these groups out here and you can sign up for them, you know, it's, it might be a little bit of a headache, but I'd wish you'd all run out and sign up so much that we've got to recruit other people to, to, to be leaders. Because it's just that important. It's just that important. You know, whether you're nervous, some of you I know, you're nervous about Sunday school, you're nervous about small groups, you think I'm not spiritual enough, I don't know the Bible enough. Well, if that's the case, then join one of our fresh expression groups. Join our feast dinner group led by Mark and Cindy Elliott, which will be a lot lighter, but yet it'll still begin to help you connect the basics of walking out your Christian faith in those moments together. Uh, maybe be a part of the grief group if you've lost a loved one recently or if you've lost a job or if you're newly retired and retirement hasn't gone as smoothly as you hoped, then join that grief group and find someone to lean on. If not those, some of you, you're already excited about some of our study groups, and Shane mentioned all of those that are more the traditional Bible study where you dig in together and learn together and grow together and pray for each other. But then we have the third type of groups. Kind of the new component is the transformation groups. And transformation groups are defined by what Paul talks about here. These groups are designed to watch over one another in love. To say, how's your walk with Jesus going this week? Where have you struggled? Where are you doing well? How can we help you keep on the right track? Are there issues you're facing in your family? Are there issues you're facing with your kids that maybe looking at scripture together or praying together or, or just kind of talking it out together would help you or help me. Uh, these transformation groups, they are the kind of groups that the Methodist movement had, gosh, 200 years ago that we got away from and did other things instead. And so we, we're, we're at a place where I'm trying to encourage folks uh, what small group relationships and care and love and all those things look like. And they're not magic bullets. You know, some of the groups you might go to for two or three weeks and say, oh, I'm not really getting anything out of this. I, you know, I, I don't really need this. I'll just go back to doing what I was doing before. But I promise, if you would join the group honestly, uh, vulnerably, lovingly, begin to build friendships, I think you'll find the journey a huge blessing if you'll stick with it through several months. I think you'll find that your life may begin to be shaped in new ways, or you might feel called to head down a different path. It's the power of small groups. And so, brothers and sisters, once again, we are here to pump you up. I close with this little quote. It's from a book called Disciple Shift. Uh, you know, one of the things that encourages is we, I would love to see us develop a, a culture where disciples are intentionally made in small groups. And one of the things it talks about is how to, how to share that together. The vision, he says in here, is that the church's primary mission is to create disciples. 
who can then create other disciples, just as Jesus intended us to do. It's helping people see that the church isn't a social club, it's not a hospital, it's not a university, and it's not a big show. The church is a community, friendships, relationships that is developing people who follow Jesus, are changed by Jesus, and then join Jesus on his mission. That's a good example of what holiness looks like. So as we begin Lent together, brothers and sisters, if you had to do one thing for Lent that I think might be even better than giving up chocolate or candy, it'd be get connected to a community you can know and love and trust, a community of faith that'll have your back and you'll have their back where you can grow to be more like Jesus together. I don't know of anything else that will help us flow down the river of grace of God's best than the power of the small group. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray today, uh, I know as I share this word that there are some here been in their church a long long time but maybe have been wary of small groups that they have felt like well i'm not good enough i don't know enough i'm not smart enough don't know enough of the bible and father i, I just pray that, that you help them push back those lies that there is a place for them in a small group they can start easy but help them take baby steps of transformation father we pray blessings upon all our groups that they would just encourage environments of spiritual friendships and nurture and grace that that lovingly hold each other accountable and share life together and grow in life together to find freedom from sin to find freedom for those things that hold us back to find a new life a new faith a new future to find that our hearts can be shaped by holy love even today, for your glory, and that we have a place on mission with you. We can make a difference in Jesus' name. So, Lord, help us take up that challenge, get out of the boat, step into the unknown, and see how you might make us fully yours. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.